0: Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Well, today um, is week six, and I have a a message I call a tune-up message. And what do I mean by tune-up message? The message I'm about to bring to you, I preach it once a year. Uh, and I do so intentionally, you know this message I feel uh has been um, really critical in my life you know it's challenged me in many ways, but it 's also enriched my faith and I do so intentionally. I preach it once a year and uh and you know and so some of you might have heard it uh, others might have not, but I believe this will bless all of you uh it 's blessed me you know even in my preparation. How many of you were around when I spoke on forgiveness show offense show offense yes. Yeah, I first spoke the message on uh, the Sunday after you got married. That was how many years ago? Three years ago. Yeah, and so uh, this this message means the world to me. You know, I, I preach many messages. Uh, I've I've lost count already. And every message feels like a child feels like a baby. You know, I often tell people that I preach and I prepare on Sunday like I'm gonna die the next day. So I give you <laughs> everything I have. And 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 but to to be very frank, you no, know, this message is by far. My most favorite message that I've ever prepared. No, this message means a lot to me because it so challenged me and enriched my faith. So I'm going to begin. <clears throat> Mark's Gospel tells us of a Roman centurion, a Roman officer who was present at the crucifixion of Christ. The Roman centurion, a Roman soldier was probably part of the contingent that was responsible for facilitating many crucifixions, many executions of men. This Roman centurion witnessed the entire crucifixion process and witnessed Christ bearing the cross, Christ being pinned on the cross, and eventually Christ dying on the cross. At the end of the entire process, the Bible accounts for this in Mark's Gospel, that a Roman officer in charge, that Roman centurion, made this statement as Jesus died. He said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Truly, this man was the Son of God. And this might not stick out to you immediately, but let me give you a bit of context. That Roman soldier, probably in his life, in his career, have witnessed hundreds, possibly thousands of crucifixions. He's witnessed a ton of them. We've seen men die through this painful, horrendous evil form of execution. He's witnessed a ton of them. But when he saw Christ and the way Christ bore the cross, there was something different, there was something unique. And it led to this stunning statement, truly this man must be the son of God. It's a stunning statement. It's a stunning statement. A soldier had probably witnessed countless of crucifixions, but there was something profoundly different about the way Christ was crucified that led to this stunning statement. And the question I'd like to pose to you is this. What did the soldiers see that led to this amazing confession? What was it about the way Jesus died that had such a profound effect on this Roman? What was so different? What was so different? For one, you know, Christ did not resist His crucifixion. He did not resist it. He, he embraced it. He embraced his crucifixion. But another thing that was probably unique or definitely unique about the way Christ bore the cross was this. He bore the cross, okay, embraced it. And the Bible accounts for this, that as he bore the cross, okay, as he was pinned on the cross, he uttered prayers of forgiveness. He forgave the thief that was next to him. And he said this as he was being mocked, scorned as they... Uh, cast lots for his garments. He said this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. I put it to you that no man other than Christ at that point would have uttered prayers of forgiveness even as, he was, as they were being crucified, as they were being mocked, scorned, beaten, killed. That was what was profoundly unique about Christ's crucifixion. Are you following me? The Roman centurion standing guard at the cross had undoubtedly witnessed many crucifixions. He knew how crucified men died, and they did not die with a prayer of love and forgiveness on their lips. I'd like to show you a quote that's by far my most favorite quote in the world, short of the Bible. The Bible is my favorite, but this is another favorite quote. Let's have that quote up. It's from a man named Brian Zahn. He says, our task as Christians is not to protest the world into a certain moral conformity, but to attract the world, to the saving beauty of Jesus Christ. The saving beauty of Jesus Christ. A friend of mine once defined beauty for me. He said this, beauty is an attraction of the soul that raises an invitation to intermercy. Beauty is an attraction of the soul that raises an invitation to mercy. Beauty is something that is meant to make our hearts beat faster. It clears up our minds. It's meant to stir something within us. I put it to you that that Roman centurion, as he stood at the foot of a cross witnessing Christ's crucifixion, experienced what this quote describes as the saving beauty of Jesus Christ. The attraction of the soul that raises an invitation to into mercy. Are you following me? The battle-hardened Roman soldier standing at the foot of a Roman cross instinctively recognized this kind of love As from another world, his only explanation was that this Nazarene being crucified for the crime of claiming to be the king of the Jews must be divine. It was the transcendence of forgiving love alone that could persuade a Roman soldier that the crucified Galilean Jew was the son of God. That soldier experienced beauty, the clearing of the mind, the stirring of the soul. That is the great paradox of the Christian faith that beauty can be formed in the midst of ugliness, that beauty can be formed in the midst of pain, that beauty can be found even in the midst of death, an undeserved death. It's a great paradox of the Christian faith. See, the Romans devised this form of punishment and execution as a means to create a public spectacle, to create fear in people. They designed it to be such a hideous, grotesque form of punishment to dissuade criminals from committing crime. It was designed on purpose to be ugly, disgusting, and evil. But today, we, we call that cross, that means of execution, beautiful. We sing about it. The wonderful cross. It's, today, it's a symbol of beauty. It's a symbol of adoration. It's a symbol of our faith. Today, Whenever the cross is present, it is a symbol of hope. People look to the cross and see its beauty, its worth. Some of us even wear it around our necks. Wear the cross around our necks. It would be completely absurd in that day for people to wear a cross around their necks as a form of jewelry. It's like wearing an electric chair around your neck. It's like wearing a noose around your neck. It's like wearing a lethal injection around your neck. It's a means of execution. A process to which pain was inflicted upon an individual. Today, it's a symbol of beauty. It's a symbol symbol of hope. How did it become that way? The symbol of the Christian faith itself, the cross, had been the symbol of the ugliest thing human beings can do. Torture and kill. But because of its association with the forgiveness of Christ, Today, it becomes a symbol of beauty. I'd like to share with you a quote from Hans, yours, von, I cannot pronounce the rest, (laughs) Balthasar, says this, this is so much smarter than I can actually put it, but being disguised under the disfigurement of an ugly crucifixion and death, Christ upon the cross is paradoxically the clearest revelation of who God is who God is. God is, has always been like Jesus and Jesus has always been like God. We may not have always known this fact, but now we do. Because of the cross. Because of the cross. Christ's unforgif- unconditional forgiveness made the cross beautiful. Forgiveness is what makes the cross and Christianity beautiful. i like to put it to you that it's not just limited between God and man. But forgiveness makes Christianity beautiful between man and man. Beauty in this world. I'd like to turn you a passage Scripture in Matthew chapter 16. It goes like this. You know, we're all familiar with this passage. It says this, Then Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This was Jesus' requirement for his disciples. Take up your cross and follow me. We know that most of the disciples, a good chunk of them, actually did take up their own cross, but not all of them did. You know, some people interpret this scripture as a literal cross that we need to pick up. We know of, uh, you know, I don't know whether we can still call them Christians, but well-meaning people, you know, when they read this special scripture, they, you know, put themselves on on a literal physical cross. But how many of you know that Jesus is not telling you and I to go out to Ikea, get a couple pieces of wood and strap a piece of wood to our bodies? He's not saying that. Take up your cross and follow me. It's interesting that in the first century, Christ followers were, you know, they were not primarily referred to as Christians. In fact, the word Christian was actually a term of insult, to insult Christ followers. Christian literally translates to little Christ. It's the way the Romans, the Greeks in that culture would insult Christ followers. Oh, you Christians, oh, you little Christ." Christ's followers would primarily be known as followers of the way. That sounds so mystical. But Christ's followers in that day will be known as followers of the way. I put it to you that Jesus is not asking us to, us to take up a physical cross, but He's calling us to embrace the way of the cross. The way of life associated with the cross. Canadian theologian Brad Dresak reminds us that Christ's teachings and Christ's death on the cross are not two separate issues. Christ's way, the narrow path, is the road of loving and forgiving even unto death. And he didn't say, let me do that for you. He said, come die with me. His way and his death are not two separate issues. They are one and the same. A man of integrity. The same person in public and in private. He calls us to live this life, embracing the way of the cross. And that's my sermon title for today, Build a City, The Way of the Cross. The Way of the Cross. <clears throat> Just as forgiveness is essential to us becoming Christian, so is forgiveness essential in us being Christian. It is essential. It is paramount to our faith. It's extremely pivotal for us to grasp as a church, as Christ's body. This whole series is about discovering the values, the expressions, what makes us the church, what makes us the city. And at the bedrock, at the very foundation of our faith is the issue of forgiveness. It's what makes us Christian. It's the intrinsic value of a Christian. It's not some, just some trait we carry. It makes us Inherently, inherently Christian. We're all sitting here today, you know, in church. On some level, no, or not on some level. We're all sitting here in church today because we have our salvation secured in Christ because of His forgiveness, right? We are saved today, secured in God because of His forgiveness extended toward us freely. Paul in his writings would tell believers to work out there was salvation with fear and trembling. That, word, that verse there that in its original text would loosely translate to continually doing the work of salvation or to consistently do the work of salvation. What is this work of salvation? It's the forgiveness of sin. Can it be safe to assume that the means to which we enter into the kingdom of God is the very way and the very means that we're called to live up the rest of our lives? We entered into this gift called salvation through forgiveness. And to work out that salvation, to live out that faith, requires us to live a life displaying forgiveness. Not a conditional one, but a Christ kind of forgiveness. You're making sense? From the Lord's Prayer to the Apostles' Creed, it's very much what Christianity is about. I'd like to read to you a story from the 1900s during the Armenian Genocide. It goes like this. During the Armenian Genocide of 1915 to 1917, one and a half million Armenians were murdered by Ottoman Turks, and millions more were raped, brutalized, and forcibly deported. From the Armenian Genocide comes a famous story of a Turkish army officer who led a raid upon the home of an Armenian family. The parents were killed and their daughters raped. The girls were then given to the soldiers. The officer kept the oldest daughter for himself, Eventually, this girl was able to escape and later trained to become a nurse. In an ironic twist of fate, she found herself working in a ward for wounded Turkish army officers. One night, by the dim glow of a lantern, she saw among her patients the face of the man who had murdered her parents and so horribly abused her sisters and herself. It was said that without exceptional nursing, he would die. And that is what the Armenian nurse gave, exceptional care. As the officer began to recover, a doctor pointed to the nurse and told the officer, if it weren't for this woman, you would be dead. The officer looked at the nurse and asked, have we met? She replied with a soft whisper, yes. After a long silence, the officer asked, why didn't you kill me? The Armenian Christian replied, I'm a follower of him who said, love your enemies. I'm a follower of him who said, love your enemies. For this Christian, no further explanation was necessary. For her, forgiveness was not an option. It was a requirement. I'd like to put it to you that for the Christian, forgiveness is not an option. It is a requirement. It is what makes us Christian. It is what makes us Christian. The Bible says that freely we've received, now freely give. It's not just talking about your money. It's talking about this great gift we have in God, His forgiveness. Bible says that while we are yet sinners, Christ bore the cross for us. He forgave us. Even before we did anything for him, even before we tithed and accomplished ministry-related things. Christ bore the cross for you. Even before you did anything for him. Freely we receive, now freely give. Jesus' supreme value for forgiveness was seen all through his ministry. Forgiveness is at the essence, the core of the gospel that Jesus preached. It is at the very heart of the Christian faith. Familiar with this story in John chapter 8, it's a woman caught in adultery. Let's have that scripture up, John chapter 8. It says this, as Jesus was speaking, the teachers of religious law, the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught In the act of adultery, they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? Next slide. They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, "All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dusk. Next slide. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the orders, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you. No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I go and sin no more. Neither do I go and sin no more. You know, preachers and scholars and historians and all sorts of smart biblical people have been trying to figure out this age-old question. What in the world did Jesus write in the dust? I don't have the answer, by the way, just in case you are wondering. (laughs) You know there are a bunch of theories right you know it's a finger of God who wrote on the tab- on the tablets of stone it's the same finger that writes in the sand, and some people say that you no know, Jesus like straight up exposed every person there and wrote down all their sins and uh, one preacher I've heard recently that oh I was like, well, this sounds really cool you know uh, the preacher goes that like, you know when when it was written in stone, you know it was there, it was permanent but whatever was written in sand could have been blown away in an instant, And it was Christ showing that that sin was wiped away. And it's, like, oh. it's like, oh, okay, that, that one's not bad. That's my, my theory now. It's like, I, I like that one. It's a great question. If you find out, let me know. <laughs> I'd like you to, to, to just pay attention to the last line. No, Lord, she said, and Jesus said, neither do I. Again, some translations, neither do I condemn you or neither do I hold this against you. Go now and sin no more. Notice the order. Neither do I condemn you, I forgive you. Now go and sin no more. Most of us understand Christianity or understand forgiveness the other way around. The person has to get their behavior, their actions in order, before I extend forgiveness. But the Christ kind of forgiveness extends it unconditionally, even when a person is unrepentant, even when a person refuses to change. That is the essence of the Christian faith. Unconditional forgiveness. It's crazy, and it's borderline offensive. Think about it. When Jesus was on the cross, the Bible says that he was flanked by two thieves. We're all familiar with this, yes? Two criminals, two commonplace criminals. And they were crucified no, next to him. One man mocked Jesus. He's a son of God. Why don't you take yourself down? And he began to mock him. The other thief okay, said, no, don't say this about him. This man is the son of God. This man is truly the Christ. And then we all know, the Bible says this, that Jesus turns over to that thief and says, your sins are forgiven. Today you will be with me in paradise. You no, know, the Bible would translate, uh, or the Bible would tell us that these men were thieves. But you know, if you do a bit of historical studies and the notice the certain wordings that were used in that text, you'll know that these men were not just commonplace thieves, commonplace criminals. Historians would tell us that these men were political revolutionaries that were bent on overthrowing the Roman rule. They would participate in all sorts of guerrilla warfare, sabotage schemes in order to advance their political agenda. It's a fancy word for a terrorist. These men were were terrorists who didn't even think twice about causing damage, pain and death on another individual to advance their political agenda. Yet Jesus turns over to this guy who at the brink of death Okay? It says to him, You'll be with me in paradise. I forgive you. Before that guy even did anything, was capable of do anything, he forgave him. That is incredibly offensive. That would mean, okay, for us today that even the most vile, crazy, insane terrorist, if he were to in his final breath call upon the name of the Lord, he would be saved. That's so offensive. I don't know about you. That's so offensive because I've been doing this Christian thing for really long now and you know, if <laughs> you know I can just do it in the last minute and then I'm good, <laughs> it's offensive. That's the kind of forgiveness that we're called to extend and live by. Are you following me? ladies and gents. To illustrate last point, my point, you know, I shared this story once where um, I was in secondary school then and you know, as secondary school boys, uh, we play and we wrestle and we do all sorts of good stuff, you know. Uh, I remember I was playing with a friend um, next to a flight of stairs. And uh, as, you know, we were wrestling and jostling one another, uh, I tripped on his leg and I began to fall down the stairs. It was one flight of stairs and I began to fall and I began to tumble down. And as I tumbled down and made my way down to the stairs, uh, I landed, okay? And I'll you not, I'm not lying. This actually happened. I landed straight up Terminator star. That means, you know, I my knee up this way and my, my hand was on my forehead and I landed this way after rolling down the, the <laughs> stairs. Graceful, beautiful, and half of me, you know, and so that was very possible. <laughs> I was athletic back then, if you can imagine. As that happened, okay, a, a teacher walks up to me and grabs me by the collar and says, hey, why you do stunt?" And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> so she, she yelled at me and like, hey, why you do stun? So she thought, you know, I was trying to, you know. Do a stun. And then I didn't know where to begin. I was like, uh and so I just said I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, and I landed graciously, man. Why do I share the story? <laughs> How does that fit in the sermon? Sometimes falling and recovering graciously can be offensive to some. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> Sad to say that would be the only point you remember from this It <laughs> e- eclipses all other good <laughs> points and goodness. <laughs> it's true, right? Sometimes it's offensive, right? The forgiveness that Jesus demonstrated through his life was a forgiveness that forgives even when people don't deserve it. Even when they don't deserve it. Even when they don't deserve it. The Bible tells us that we ought to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. We know that even though it was the Romans who executed Jesus, it was the Jews who called for Jesus' crucifixion. And historically, we know one of the reasons why they did so, because they were expecting a different Messiah. You know, the Jews were expecting a Messiah that was a conquering king that would liberate them from the oppressive Roman rule, that would kill all of their enemies, that would liberate the Jews, God's chosen people. But Jesus came not as a conquering warrior king. He came as the servant king. He came as a person who extended forgiveness and love instead of wrath and judgment. And that didn't sit well with the Jewish people. It didn't sit well with them at all. When Jesus came on the scene, he said, hey, forgive your enemies. The gospel is for all. Not just for you, the Jews, but I've come to bring liberty, salvation for all mankind. Forgiveness is for all. It's a quote that I love it goes like this, we forget that when we see Christ dead upon the cross, we discover a God who would rather die than kill his enemies. We forget when we see Christ dead upon the cross that we discover a God who would rather die than kill his enemies. There's this famous story, you know, um, the man who produced the film The Passion, Mel Gibson. It was said that uh, as they were filming different scenes of uh, the movie The Passion, which I'm sure most of us have seen, the scene to which uh, the Roman soldier was nailing the the nails into the actor Jesus. Um, That scene, as they were about to film that scene, Mel Gibson jumps on to the set and said, hey, I want to be the person who puts the nails into his hands. It was just a, a stunning request. and It was said that it was because Mel Gibson knew that it was not just the Roman soldier who put the nails in Jesus' hands, but all of humanity. All of us sinful people were the ones who put him on the cross. Sometimes we approach the cross as, oh, they did that bad thing to Jesus, not knowing that our sinful lives was what got him there in the first place. When we talk about enemies, that God would rather die than kill his enemies, it was not just the Roman soldiers, but those who had sinned were at one point alienated separated from God, who stood against Him. He would rather die than kill His enemies. am i making sense? It sounds crazy, right? This idea of not taking revenge in your own hands. Forgiveness, I like to suggest to you, is not the rejection of justice. It's allowing God to execute justice on your behalf. Our justice is temporal, but His justice is eternal. Our justice is imperfect. Chances are, when we try and execute our own justice, we fall into sin ourselves. And then God has to defend the person to which you're commi- commu- committing a sin against. But His justice is perfect. It's perfect. Forgiveness is not the rejection of justice. It's allowing God to execute it on your behalf. As a church, we've been so adept at teaching people how to become Christian, how to become Christ like, is what we need to pursue today. How to become Christ like in a way that helps flood a world hell-bent of vengeance with the grace of forgiveness. I have one more illustration and then I'll get to my points and we'll close. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. I want to read to you a couple of passages of scriptures. You've heard it that it was said this in the Sermon on To those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. In some translation it says, anyone who harbors an offense, who holds on to an offense, will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the counselor, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hellfire. How many of you have said worse things than you fool? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I have. It's like, you fool. will be liable to the hellfire. Come on. That's scary. You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Let's look at another passage of Scripture in 1 John. It goes like this. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That's a scary passage of Scripture. Whoever hates his brother, whoever holds an offense against his brother. is like a murderer, and no murderer has eternal life in him. You know, we have to understand that these passages were written uh, in a specific time to a specific audience. And with that, you know, we have to examine some of uh, its cultural and historical context. And, uh, you know, I've shared this analogy before, but it's so powerful, and uh, I just want to share it again. You know, the Romans had many forms of uh, execution. They were really creative people. Just not a good kind of creative, you know, not the artsy pain. They were very creative in the way they killed people. And they had different forms of executions, uh, different forms of commit of um, punishment for different uh, crimes. One of the ways they punished uh, murderers, uh, you know, they would uh, behead them, they would flog them, they would throw them to get eaten by animals. But one of the ways they would Punish murderers is uh, is such. If you were to commit murder in that day and the body was present, they would take the body back with them. And after your sentence is passed, this is what they would do. They would take that dead body and chain it to you, hand to hand, neck to neck, feet to feet. Sometimes they would chain it in the front, sometimes they would chain it in the back. And you were sentenced to live out the remainder of your life carrying a dead body. Carrying a dead body. And this is what would happen to those people. You know, they would, of course, you know, carrying a dead body, they would be alienated from all sorts of community. The stench would be so overwhelming and so powerful that they would have virtually no community walking around a dead body. In some cases, these People, these convicts would be driven insane just by the smell or just by v- no one wanting to be around them. They'll be driven to insanity. But in most cases, this is what happened as the body rots and decays, that toxic chemical would begin to seep into their skin and cause a slow, painful death by poison. Unforgiveness, taking an offense, is like carrying around a dead body. The difference is that punishment is not imposed on you, it's self-imposed. The difference is the key to your liberation is not in the hands of someone else, it's in your hands. Unforgiveness is like carrying a dead body that slowly kills, poisons you. Joyce Meyer says this, that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other party to die from it. Today as we close, I'd like to share with you five empowering beliefs on forgiveness and I'd like to pray for you after. Can we do that? Are you? Are you okay? Following yeah, me? Yes? Heavy stuff, but it's important. It's important that we get this right. It's important that we deal with this issue. It's not a trait, it's what makes us Christian. First, empowering belief on forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a one time event, it's a continuous process. Forgiveness is not a one time event, it's a continuous process. You know, I remember as a young man, uh, we had an altar call given by a guest speaker, and we were told to come out to the front and uh, be free from uh, unforgiveness. And we were called to run to the front, and as we were standing there, the preacher said to us, you know some of you are like David. You know you have had spears thrown at you by Saul. You know, and you have like all these uh, unforgiveness and they're like sticking out at you like that. You know, all these spears. And what I want you to do is um, uh, run up to the front, and as you do so, I want you to grab these spears and I want you to yank them out. And as you do so, just yell the name of the person who offended you. <laughs> it's great, you know. I had one friend, he ran up and uh, he didn't really have anyone to forgive, you No, know, he just ran up because it's what you do in youth ministry and, uh, and as he ran up, you know, he heard, you know, like from a distance, someone yelled out his name and he looked over and he saw the person yelled out his name and then he pulled out a spear for that guy who just yelled out his name. <laughs> you can try and do so later, but <laughs> if you want. <laughs> but, you know, you know I, I went up and I, and I did the thing, you know, I pulled a spear and, tears and snot and mucus and Christian recreation is best <laughs> but I left the place and I, and I wish I can tell you that I instantly had no feelings of negativity towards the person who offended me you know but I realized you know that though that moment's powerful and though you know, I believe the grace of God came and empowered me all that good stuff but forgiveness is not just a one time event It's a continuous process. Think about it this way, you know, that you can drop the stones of judgment in that instance, but every day you have to resist the temptation and urge to pick the stones back up. That is what living with forgiveness looks like. It doesn't mean that those feelings go away in an instance, but it means that you, every day, get to make a choice to walk in forgiveness, get to make a choice to not extend judgment to a person, even though he deserves it i making sense. It's not a one-time event. It's a continuous process. Second belief. Forgiveness is not a sign of endorsement. It's a choice to love. How many of you know that when Jesus forgave the adulterous woman, he wasn't condoning the sin of adultery? Many times you think loving and forgiving someone means agreeing and endorsing their lifestyle. But think about it, That's that story. He said to her, Neither do I condemn you. I forgive you. Now go and sin no more. It was his forgiveness, his acceptance, his extension of worth and value that empowered her to be free from sin. Many times as Christians, we withhold the solutions and the answers for people to experience transformation until they get their behavior in order. Not knowing that this extension of value, worth, acceptance, belonging, forgiveness and acceptance is what actually empowers a person to change. It's so sadistic expecting a person to discover the solution outside when we have the solution right here all along. And we do that sometimes. People belong before they believe. Next empowering belief. Forgiveness is not an end to pain. It's a road to healing. Forgiveness is not an end to pain. It's a road to healing. You know, if you were to get injured today and you have a wound, on your hand, and you would to go into a hospital, and you would get stitches. You go back home. How many of you know that you're still going to feel the pain of that wound? But it doesn't mean healing isn't happening. It doesn't mean that you have have not partake partook in the solution. But there's a process right. to which healing happens. There's a process. Sometimes you know we think that hey, you know, I just because I feel this negativities and stuff like that in, in my heart, you know, it means that I haven't forgiven that person altogether. No, whenever you feel that, it's a choice, it's a decision you get to make. To forgive again, to forgive again, to forgive again. It's not an end to pain, it's a road to healing. It's a beginning of healing. That's what forgiveness is. Amen? Yeah. Next, empowering belief. Forgiveness keeps no record of wrong. It restores the standard. It restores the standard. You know the word repent would mean different things but in its English it comes from the word re empent meaning go back. To go back. Repent. To go back to the top like penthouse. That's what repentance is. It restores you from where you have fallen. It keeps no record of wrong. It restores the standard. The agreement that I have with Amy is that whenever one of us says Forgi- I forgive you that infraction or that you know mistake or poor conduct that was displayed in that moment can never be used back as a reference for a further, for a future argument. We've made it a goal that that whatever we argue about is about then right right here and right now. Whatever's happening right here and right now where we don't you know open the concordance and flip through and find other infections that will help bolster our case. But when we forgive we really mean it we forgive. Forgiveness restores the standard. The Bible says this about God, that He remembers our sin no longer. Not because He has a short-term memory, but because He chooses not to hold it against you. When He has forgiven you, He has forgiven you completely. And the same way God forgives people, we are called to forgive people as well. Are yeah. making sense? Yeah. Phrases like, last time you, or you always, or you never, should not exist in our vocabulary when we are arguing with someone. Are making sense? Last belief. Forgiveness is not the same as forgiving. It is an intentional act. We often hear the phrase, forgive and forget, or to forgive we must forget. Forgetting only happens over time. It's involuntary and you really have no control or part to play in that. But forgiveness is not like that. It's active. It's always a choice. It is a conscious act. In all honesty, forgiveness doesn't call us to forget. It actually allows us to remember. Think about that. That point I brought up, you know. That today, the cross, is not something that we choose to forget. We don't sidestep. We don't ignore the grotesque and hideous nature of the cross. But today, because of forgiveness, it becomes a symbol of beauty. It becomes a symbol of hope. Your past mistakes or the things you go through with people in the past, you know, though tough, though a struggle, if you were to allow forgiveness to come into it, it becomes a point of hope. It becomes a point of, hey, this is where our relationship matured. This is where our relationship stood the test of conflict, stood the test of offense, and we made it through. Forgiveness actually allows us to remember, instead of cause us to forget. Am making sense? Think about it you know, that Christ for all eternity will bear the scars of the cross on his hands. For all eternity, not as a way to guilt trip you into worshiping him more. The Bible says is that when Thomas doubted the Messiah's resurrection, Jesus calls him, like, Hey, come over here, put your hand on my scars. And when he did so, immediately Thomas was filled with faith, filled with hope. And he understood, yes, the Messiah's. Listen. The scars of your past, if you allow God to redeem them, can become a symbol of faith, can become a symbol of hope. In closing, our faith is filled with paradoxes. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, whose crown was made of thorns, whose throne was a cross, whose acclamation was a mockery, whose triumph was a crucifixion, and whose kingdom was won, not by the shedding of enemy blood, but by the shedding of his own blood. The prince calls his followers to take up their own crosses and follow him, which means nothing less than following his way of doing things. It is the way of the donkey, the towel, and the cross. The way of humility, service, and suffering. The way of the cross is not revenge and retaliation. The way of the cross is forgiveness. I'd like to close off with one statement. Offense is inevitable. Inevitable. Why, how do I know that? The Bible tells us that we will be offended and, and also, uh, people do offensive things all the time. <laughs> Offense is inevitable. It will happen. But offended is a choice. Offense is inevitable, but offended is a choice. Choosing to stay there is a byproduct of your own will. Not someone else's. Yes, the person did this. Yes, the person committed this against me. But hey, you got to be free of that if you choose to forgive. If you choose to allow God to exact justice on your behalf, instead of holding on to that body of death, which will ultimately kill, poison you, and derail you from your God-given destiny. Yeah. Offense is inevitable, but offended is a choice. Amen? Yeah. Right, can we stand? <clears throat> Are you good? Are you life? Yeah. Yes. Anyone offended by what I just said? No. <laughs> it's a choice. You know, when, whenever I talk about stuff like that, you know, most, of the, most of the time people, you know, when they think about unforgiveness, they think about offense, they, 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 they look at, oh, it's the big ticket items. It's like adultery. It's like murder. It's like the person, uh, you, know, uh, you know, backstabbed me. And it's all like, we, we think big ticket stuff. But you know, I've realized you know, in my life and you know, in, in journeying with people and with God that the smallest offense Okay, you know, be it a slight remark, a slight comment that didn't sit right. The smallest offense, if it's not kept in check, much like okay, the good things in the kingdom, if you allow a seed okay, to be sown in your heart and not deal with it, it will grow, it will bear fruit, it will produce a, a tree. The smallest offense, the smallest seed, if it's not dealt with, and removed it will bear fruit so what I'm saying to us as a people today when you are offended when you are you know battling with trying to forgive a person don't ignore it don't sidestep the issue but confront it head on confront the person am I making sense? am I making sense? come on follow me it's important that we deal with this issue even the smallest offense. Right? Can we bow our heads as I close? <clears throat> Before I close, I'll just like to pray for a few individuals, you know. Maybe as I was, I was speaking, also sharing, you know, uh, it brought up certain feelings and emotions in you. Maybe you have you are or have had been dealing with unforgiveness, with offense for a long time now. And there seems to be no way out of it. And you've been holding on to that body of death for years. I would like to pray for you. I believe the grace of God is going to come and it's going to empower you to make a decision to live free from that body of death. You know, whenever I preach this message, I tell people that, hey, you don't need an altar call. Sometimes you just need to make a phone call. With every eye closed, every head bow. I'm serious with this. Every eye closed and every head bow. Every eye closed and every head bow. Every eye closed, every head bow. I'm serious that's you this morning you know you struggle with offense or maybe even offense with God I want you to confess it you know he's okay he's a big guy he can take it he can take your offense but if you struggle with offense today I'd like to pray for you that is you this morning just when you to gently lift your hands up and I'd like to pray for you is there anyone awesome thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you right. Let's pray as we close. Father, we thank you that the life you've called us to live, you don't expect us to do it on our own. That you give us freely your Holy Spirit which empowers us to live. It gives us the strength, the resolve, the power to live a life that exceeds our own ability. God, we ask that in this moment that you will empower us by your Holy Spirit. That your grace will fill every person in this room. Empower us to take steps of boldness and courage to confront people. Give us the boldness and courage to work through our pain, work through unforgiveness, work through offense. And God, I ask for people here who are battling with offense, that God, you will enable them with your voice that God you will give them the right words to speak at the right time God that you will orchestrate even divine appointments for them to meet these people at your right time and God I ask that today that let there be a holy resolve a holy resolve that will fill every heart that we will not give room to offense we will not give room to unforgiveness we will not give room to bitterness But God, you put a resolve in our hearts to stay through to cause, to stay through, to embracing the way of the cross, to embracing forgiveness extended to all men, even to those who don't deserve it, freely. God, even right now, bring up the small offenses that we might have let slip by or put by the wayside. That small comment, that certain look, that certain statement. God, bring up those offenses, even now. And God, give us the resolve to deal with them as well. We thank you for your empowerment. We thank you for your standard. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.